Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 32. And this is Paul speaking here. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself that said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. Can I have my welcome to Marcus's? It's brilliant to have you here. My name is Tim Chilvers, one of the leaders here. And if you're here for the first time, we want to extend a particular welcome to you. It's great to have you with us here at Riverside. Uh, you are meeting there at the moment. Uh, there is also a gathering that's happening over in Bourneville. We are one church meeting in different locations. Um, we've got two gatherings here on a Sunday, one over in Bourneville. We've also got our Word of Hands community uh, for British Sign Language users. And it's, a, it's all because we're convinced that Jesus makes sense of life and therefore we want others to know about that and so we're meeting in different places so that they might discover the good news of Christ. I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump right into the Bible. Let's pray together. Lord God we thank you. The very breath in our lungs is from you and so we pray Lord You'd help us to be honest about the gifts you have given to us and that we might use them for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who is the wealthiest person who has ever lived? It's a big question that many people, bright minds, have tried to work out because, of course, to do with inflation and to do with different currency levels and to do with the price of things throughout history, it's quite difficult to work out. But one of the main contenders is this man, a man named Andrew Carnegie. And regardless of whether he is the wealthiest, he's certainly the top two or three, depending on the different uh, lists that have been combined. It's, it's normally between him, Roosevelt, uh, no, not Roosevelt, Rockefeller, should I say, uh, and Genghis Khan, apparently. But this guy, what is interesting about him is that by today's standards, his wealth, it is estimated that if you kind of totted it all up, if he was around today, what he had then was around today, he would be worth an estimated $372 billion. Most of us can't even work out how many noughts that is. That's a lot. It would take most of us quite a while to save for that. But what's even more startling apart from that huge figure is that with all that wealth, he made a brave choice to give it all away. He is known as arguably the greatest philanthropist of all time, famously saying these words, the man who dies rich dies disgraced. 
We live in an age of wealth like never before. Wealth inequality in our world is staggering. Did you know the richest 300 people on our planet, 300 people, are wealthier than half the global population? 300 people wealthier than 3.5 billion people. And people like these guys are doing something to try and change that in our world. So Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Mark Zuckerberg and others, very, very substantially wealthy billionaires, now deciding to give their wealth away. Bill Gates, a few years ago, established the Giving Pledge where he unashamedly confronted billionaires and asked them to give their money away. You can't spend it all in your lifetime. Do good with it. And so far, those wealthy billionaires have combined and pledged to give away, you wait for it, $732 billion. Huge generosity. You don't have to look far to see that in our age, philanthropy, giving money away, is very, very on trend. It's the thing to do. And so, quick Google. The Express, it's really better to give than receive. The Guardian, the path to happiness, it is better to give than receive. The Mail, so it must be true, it really is better to give than to receive, say scientists. Or CNN, for kids, it's better to give than receive. And the research, according to Psychology Today, giving really is better than receiving for us psychologically. So much so that a few years ago in this country, uh, a project was established called Action for Happiness, where a group of secular academics got together, established this project with the Dalai Lama as the kind of patron, basically saying, how do we make ourselves happy? They produced this book, 10 Keys to Happier Living. Do you know what the number one key to happier living is? Giving. Want to be happy? Give it away according to the research. Here's a quote from that book. People who give to or who help others have been shown to be more satisfied with their lives, have a greater sense of meaning, and they feel more competent. Now, to my knowledge, none of these people are particularly motivated by a Christian faith. But when it comes to wealth, Giving money away is now very on trend, very now, very cool. But it won't surprise you that those ideas about the importance of generosity are not new ideas. And perhaps it shouldn't surprise us that the generosity being good for us is not a new idea. And in this, if you've been at Riverside the last couple of months, we've been doing this series, Jesus the Game Changer, all about how Jesus changed the game on a number of different things. And a lot of the things we hold dear in our society, some of the foundations actually began with Jesus and then the church has kind of failingly tried to live it out down through the centuries. And I want to suggest this morning that when we think about wealth, our subject this morning, this trend about giving money away with our generosity 
begins with these radical perspectives of Jesus. But I also want to suggest that Jesus' radical perspectives are even more revolutionary than some of the generosity today, as we'll see. You see, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, said, it is more blessed to give than receive. They were radical then, those ideas. And despite it being uber cool now, it is still supremely radical today with where Jesus goes with this. So three things this morning from Jesus' perspectives about wealth, about how we handle money that I think will change our lives if we get a grip on it. And the first is this. Money is a good gift, but a terrifying God. Money's a good gift, but a terrifying God. That passage that was read to us from the book of Acts is all about the first Christians living out in the light of Jesus' teaching, living out the fact that Jesus now was alive and what that means for us. And here you've got Paul who started a church in Ephesus and he's kind of established some leaders there and he's saying goodbye to these leaders and basically saying these are some important things for you to know and his final words are reminding them of some of Jesus' teaching about money. It's better to give than to receive. But I want to draw our attention to something. We'll get to the giving bit in a minute that it's better to give. But let's not forget the truth that Jesus says here it is blessed also to receive. It may be more blessed to give, but it is blessed to receive. In other words, money is a good gift to us. It is. It is a blessing from God. And in the ancient world, that was not new. Anybody believed that if they had wealth, they were favoured. But Jesus goes way beyond that. You see, Jesus taught in such a way that they viewed money differently. That it was a gift from God, but not necessarily a God. And so Paul writes to Timothy, command those who are rich to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for enjoyment. Now let's pause here for a moment. Do you see what Paul says there? God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now I think it's worth dwelling on this just for a minute, because if you've been around church for a little while, Some of us have got a little bit of a distorted view about money. As though money is a sort of necessary evil that we've got to kind of have, but it's kind of a bit mucky and therefore we don't really want to do anything. And So let's just give it away. Now we'll get to giving in a minute and generosity. But let's not forget what Paul says here. God gives us things for our enjoyment. And therefore, I want to encourage some of us that you feeling guilty about that enjoyment of the things that you're spending money on. And maybe this morning, God's word to you is, be free. Enjoy it as a gift from your Father. Some of us have a distorted, a too high view of money that we can't enjoy it. But of course, the radical bit about this is don't enjoy it too much 
that it becomes God himself for us. Don't put your hope in that wealth. Put it in the God who gives that to us. Now, our age has no problems enjoying money, does it? Here's a great quote from Lily Allen in Q Magazine. She was asked to give her Ten Commandments for her life if she was establishing them. This was number one. Money is the answer. There's a lot of money in the world just waiting to be taken, and I want some, please. And yet the biblical warnings, is if, if honestly that's where we're at, the biblical warnings are clear. Ecclesiastes 5, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. But can I ask you, are you satisfied with your income? If your answer is no, why not? How much do you need to be satisfied? I love this quote from Arnie. Brilliant quote. Money doesn't make you happy. I have $50 million, but I was just as happy when I had $48 million. We don't necessarily want to be uber rich like that, just kind of semi-rich, just rich enough, however we determine that. And of course, as Ecclesiastes reminds us, that will never be enough. And so it led to the Guardian, someone writing in the Guardian a couple of years ago, money has taken on a mystical Lord of the Rings-ish quality, where the only way to escape its power is not to have any. Jesus shocks us with his teaching when he basically says there is a battle between God and money for your heart. You choose. Is God God or is money God? Because you cannot serve two masters. Either you'll hate one, love the other, or you'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so if you like, money is a window on your heart. How we view money is a barometer of how we view God. Is God God or is money God? Money is a good gift from God, but never to be put in the position of God. So can I ask you some diagnostic questions for you? How do you view your bank balance? How do you view others and what they have as their possessions. Are you envious? Do you judge the way other people spend money? Do you possess, are you possessive of what you have? It's mine. Or are you always driven for more? If only, if only. Money is a good gift, but it is a terrifying God. Why? The second point, because money can do terrific good, but it can do terrible harm. Jesus gives a little, uh, there's a little story of Jesus in the Gospels. In Luke chapter 12, where a guy comes to Jesus and basically says, Jesus, can you tell my brother to share out the inheritance? And Jesus says some profound words, Luke 12. Watch out, he said. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. If you make money your God, it will destroy your life. 
Life does not consist of stuff. And can I just give some caution here? I've had the immense privilege over the years, not that I'm that old, but you know what I mean, of doing, being involved in quite a few funerals. And the number of funerals that I have done where I've been up the front of the chapel and looking at the two sides of the chapel in which the family of the person that's deceased won't even talk to each other, won't even look at each other because of issues to do with inheritance. Jesus here says relationships are way more important than stuff. Possessions, money. You can have all you want in the world and get to the end and realize you've lost it all. And so can I urge you, if that's an issue for you at the moment in your family or your world, or you have responsibility for working out at the moment to do with whatever, can I urge you, please, please, more to life than just stuff. Money can do terrible harm. But how do we get over the problems then? Well, one word. Be generous. Be generous. You see, Jesus teaches in Matthew's Gospel about the dangers of storing up stuff for us. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Why? Because it won't last. Moths and vermin destroy it. Thieves break in and steal. The economy goes belly up. Your bank is finally found to be dodgy, whatever it may be. But rather store up for yourself treasure in heaven. A great story, often told in sermons. I love it. No idea if it's true, but it's worth retelling. A very wealthy man dies and the vicar is in the churchyard about to bury him. Somebody sidles up to the vicar and whispers in his ear, how much did he leave? And the vicar very wisely said, all of it. As an advertising campaign the other few years back said, he who dies with the most toys still dies. And so, says Jesus, you can use the gift that God has given to you in a way that impacts eternity. Not just storing it where moth and bank managers or investment brokers do damage to it. Let me give an illustration of how terrible money, dangerous it can be, starting off with a good. You may remember a couple of years ago the whole story about Wonga. Wonga was a, a kind of a loan company that basically preyed on uh, people who wanted a kind of payday loan and sometimes at exorbitant rates. There was one story I think of somebody being given a loan with a 4,000% interest rate. And of course, this caused all sorts of controversy uh, and people began to panic because they realized their pensions were invested in it and all this sort of stuff. But what's interesting is the idea of loan giving and the idea of things like pawn shops where people sell things for instant money and so on started with the church. So in the Middle Ages, where there was no welfare state, 
the church decided through monasteries and so on to be in a position where they could provide startup loans at very, very low interest rates compared to the loan sharks of the day so that people could get themselves on their feet, be able to establish themselves and begin to be healthy and all that sort of stuff. In other words, it started off as a good thing trying to help people, but because money is so seductive and wants our heart, over time, we began to see quite how much money we could make out of other people. And then before you know it, it's destroying people's lives rather than helping people's lives. And I want to encourage you in your outlook, you'll have been given one of these uh, little newsletter about Riverside Money Advice, in which there are some beautifully real and honest stories about people, whether through their own decisions or through the, just the way society is, have seen the terrible destruction that money can do. And yet the beauty of freedom from it. Let me read some words. I don't go to church, but this journey has opened up my faith again. It's just like I was meant to be here. One person beginning to realize the impact that money can have and being free from the desires of wanting more. And so, money can do terrific good. It can be real blessing and can impact for eternity. But it can be very dangerous as well, so don't make it your God. Uh, but thirdly then, how? How do we be free from, if you like, the grip of serving money? How do we be free from our worshipping our God money? Well, I think we do that through following what our reading says. You master money when you see how huge your inheritance really is. When you get a grip of how big your inheritance is, it results in nothing but thankfulness and generosity and freedom from being enslaved by an overemphasis on money. You see, Paul reminds us of Jesus' saying, it is more blessed to give than receive. We get that, we understand that. But he says it's in the context of something very powerful. Just a couple of verses before, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance. How do we be free? How do we be able to be giving? How do we be able to be generous? Well, we remember the inheritance that we have. And where do we learn about that inheritance? In this word of his grace. Which, of course, all he's talking about is this message, this good news about Jesus. That Jesus died nailing our sin on the cross once and for all. And then rose up from the grave so that we can live for all eternity with our Savior. That's a payday. That's an inheritance that will last for all eternity. And the more we grasp that, well, money has no hold on us. And rather than that, imagine the impact we can have with our money for all eternity. Wow. You see, our culture says, give money away to people and it will make you feel good about the good you're doing. 
Whereas Jesus says, give money away because otherwise it's dangerous if you don't for you. And you will impact for all eternity and you will see that fruit of your investment. God is the great ultimate giver, giving him very self for us. And when we grasp that, wow, our attitude to the number of noughts on our bank balance really changes. And there's one figure who, as we come to a close, I think modeled this a little bit. I don't know if you've heard the man John Thornton. John Thornton lived in the 1700s, was a very successful businessman, and he decided with his wealth that he had, with the means, with the gift that God has given to him, to not just hoard it, but to actually do great good with it. And funded things like William Wilberforce and the whole anti-slavery campaign. 